Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. Well, good morning. Uh, that's, that's a little weak. Good morning. All right, we're here in COVID worshiping. Come on. Yeah, we get to be here. We're the people of God gathered together. I want to welcome you here if you're in person or you're here online. Uh, my name's John Adams, lead pastor here at The Vine, and we're doing things a little different, and we're going right into the preaching, and we're going to respond with communion and worship and singing. So today, as we gather together this uh, third candle of Advent, this third Sunday, it's such a, that wasn't that such a beautiful story of uh, Ruth, and didn't you love Boaz? I mean, that guy is a mighty redeemer. I mean, uh, and uh, it just, it's such a, so it's such a beautiful story of God's faithful love for his people. And we saw this in the Ruth story of Ruth and Boaz and, and how God brought into, grafted into his descendants, a Moabite. Remember, they were hated by Israel. They were worshiping many gods, so many reasons Jews disliked. Moabites, but she becomes the great grandmother of David. And if you see in your Bible, Matthew 1, verse 5, in the, the genealogy that we looked at last week briefly, she's right there. In, in ultimately, uh, the great, 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 great grandmother of Joseph, who's the earthly father of you know who? Jesus. And so, isn't it it's beautiful to see how God? works his redeeming love uh, through the years. And today we're going to see the wonder of how out of love God comes. Out of love God comes. And we're going to do that by looking at a long passage from Matthew chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me, will you, to uh, Matthew 2 and verse 13. And uh, your handhelds, it's really important to get the Bible in context. So I encourage you to bring your Bibles, bring your handhelds. We want to dig into the Word of God this year and help you grow in understanding and knowing God's Word. So today, as we come to His Word, I just want to say this. We put ourselves, our thinking, our minds, our hearts, and our hands under the authority of you, Lord. And we ask you to meet with us. Amen. So Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse number 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, 
according to the time when he had ascertained from the wise men. And then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when they heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Thanks be to God, this is God's holy word. Praise his name. You know, out of love, God comes this season. He didn't just come to be a child of Joseph and of Mary. He came to meet you, to change your life, to cause you to know that he alone is a savior and that his love is beyond any love you could ever know or experience. Today, as we look at this passage and see that out of love, God comes, we're going to see, first of all, that Jesus fulfills prophecy in his coming. And this is a beautiful thing here in Matthew chapter 2. You see, Joseph knew their child, Jesus, was special. Last week, Tim taught that wise men or wealthy scientists had come and they bore gifts from hundreds of miles away and they brought them to worship Jesus. He was just a little infant, probably two years old or so. And they come to this toddler and they heap lavish gifts on him. Isn't that crazy? And then we see today that, that God will supernaturally reveal to Joseph that through a dream and dreams, uh, God's message, his revelation to, to cause ultimately Jesus to be protected from an untimely death. So as we do that, we want to we wanna look at God's word in, in just different ways. This year, we're looking at what's called using a tool called comma. Maybe you've heard of it. It's an acronym that we're saying C stands for context, and we've looked at a little of that. Then we're going to O, observe, and then M, we're going to look at the meaning, and then M, the motive, and then A, application. And as you, if you listen carefully, you'll see how I'm doing that today. I study God's Word that way every week in prepping for these messages, and we want to encourage you to grow in using a tool like that this year. So as we oh, observe, three times in verses 15, 17, and 23, the word fulfilled is used. There's repetition of fulfilled because the Messiah is fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies about him. Matthew's gospel quotes these Old Testament passages more than any other gospel, more than uh, Mark or Luke or John. And the reason is because his audience is mostly Jewish. 
But look, it's not just for Jewish people that we need to know about prophecies. Why are prophecies and these prophecies so staggeringly, I can say that well, staggeringly beautiful? And here's the reason why. You know, it's just, this could only happen if God came. Now, um, I've read years ago and reminded myself there's a, there's a mathematician from Oxford University, Peter Stoner. He looked at the prophecies of God. Now, remember that Jesus, that Jesus actually fulfills the 300 Old Testament prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah to come. But Peter Stoner said, if you only took eight of those, of those prophecies, what would be the odds from the Old Testament that these prophecies would be made and that they would be fulfilled in one person, Jesus? And the odds he came up with were unbelievable. It was one to 10 and the 17th power. My wife, who's a mathematician, told me, John, you know what that number is? That's 100 quintillions. And I didn't even know what that number was. But I knew it was really big. 17 zeros after that number. It's crazy large. So, so what does that mean? What would that look like? 1 in 10 to the 17th. That, that one person could fulfill just eight Old Testament prophecies. And, and here's, here's how you can understand it for normal people like you and me. If you filled the whole state of Texas, the ground, with about two feet of silver dollars, two feet high, whole state of Texas, and you blindfolded a man and had him walk through the state of Texas, and as he's walking through, he's looking for the one mark coin, and at one point he reaches down, he stoops down, remember, the whole state of Texas covered two feet deep with silver dollars. He stoops down and digs in there and picks it up. And there it is. The blindfolded man has found that one marked silver dollar. That is one in the 10 to the 17th power. Guys, what does that mean for us? It means this. If you're a skeptic, you better look again. Because Jesus really came, and he was God, and he was the Messiah. And even as with, with we look at logic, and even if we look at the math of this thing, Jesus fulfills every prophecy of the Old Testament. Not just eight, but 300. So today, let's look at three of the prophecies. And we find them in this passage here in Matthew 2. As you look here in Matthew 2, you see, we'll see today this first prophecy today is, is um, in found in verses 13 through 15. And remember that Joseph led Mary and the Christ to fulfill, to flee to Egypt, fulfilling the prophecy quoted particularly in verse 15. And this verse 15 is a quote of an Old Testament prophecy, Hosea 11.1, 1, which says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called 
my son. Now, this is important because it has a double meaning here, Hosea 11.1, 1, of God's rescuing love for Israel out of Egypt and out of slavery, 430 years. And then also the second meaning of leading Jesus to Egypt and back to Israel, where he would rescue his people, that's us, many of us, out of spiritual slavery. Now, this is beautiful truth that we have to see God's great love. But imagine how Mary and Joseph must have felt. God comes to you in a dream. He, he, he says he has them walk, not drive in your cars with heated seats. In 75 miles, they're walking from Israel to Egypt. You know, a couple with a toddler son. Imagine that. And, and uh, they get to this place that's a, going to this place that's despised by them. Because remember, every week a Jewish person would remember on Fridays at Shabbat, we remember God led us out of Egypt, out of slavery, and into freedom into the land of Israel. So they didn't want to go back to Egypt, back to slavery, back to all those memories from the past. And on your trip, Mary and Joseph would get a word that their friends and family members, some of their sons, were killed in Bethlehem. Could you imagine this, what they're feeling? You guys think you've had some fears in your life. Mary and Joseph experienced them. You know, what would you be feeling? Maybe it'd be something like this. Lord, why is my world falling apart? Or they must have asked God, God, why did you actually have us Parent, this Christ child, nothing's going right around us. You see, circumstances got harder for them, not better. You would think everything was glorious because they were parenting the king of the universe. But Mary and Joseph had lots of fears, had lots of struggles. And guys, we have lots of struggles and fears. Now, this last week, I was thinking about my life and I was, I was getting kind of more quiet at home. I was feeling a little bit in knots internally, and I realized one thing. I'm getting, I'm finally getting this, guys. I was struggling with fears. And I remember Tim's sermon last week from Matthew and how beautiful that was about peace. And I had to repent and say, God, I've been relying on other things, probably myself. I've been thinking I've got to do something, whatever great. I've got to do something better. I've got to work harder. I, I tend to tell myself these tapes go off in my mind and I got to say, God, please, I reject that in Jesus' name. And I want to say those fears I had were just simply because of my human striving and reliance. And God has been freeing me more and more and more is I'm saying, God, I want to trust you and you alone in this. So look, gang, your circumstances could be hard. You could be having lots of fears. Jesus came for you. Are you going to trust him? We see in the, the second prophecy here in this passage in Matthew 2, it's fulfilled in verses 16 through 18. 
There Matthew is quoting Jeremiah 31, 15 through 16 about Rachel. Do you guys know who Rachel was? Who was Rachel's husband? Anyone? Class? Jacob. I heard it. And Jacob got a new name. What was his new name? He had 12 sons and he got a new name. What was it? Israel. And he was named Israel. And so he, Jacob, Israel, is married to Rachel. And so in a way, Rachel could be representing Israel as the mother of Israel. And we see here that she is in mourning and struggle and pain because of two reasons. One, this this verse in Hosea is a picture of the grief of the nation of Israel going into exile into Babylon in 586 BC. But it's also as if she's crying out on behalf of all the moms and dads and families whose two-year-old boys and under are being killed murderously. And the sorrow, you can imagine what that would have felt like if you were a mom or dad. If you're a mom or dad, you know, man, that would rip you apart. And here Rachel is crying out on behalf of the nation and the struggle here. So, so why is it that this, this particular pro- is, prophecy is about Jesus? You know, um, Isaiah 53 is one of the clearest prophecies, in the chapters of prophecy in the Old Testament. And in Isaiah 53, 3, it says here, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Instead of celebration around his birth and his young life, Jesus is surrounded with sadness and sorrow. Why? Because he was the man of sorrows. Jesus himself knows what you're feeling. Whatever you're struggling with, if you're lonely, if you're feeling rejected, if you're feeling great pain, Jesus knows what you're feeling. He is is one who is able to sympathize and even empathize with your grief and your pain. He knows that because he came, because he loves you that much. This is the second prophecy that is fulfilled by Jesus. And the third prophecy we see here of the Old Testament is found in verses 19 through 23. And you remember that in Egypt, Joseph receives a third dream to move back to Israel. And it's likely that Joseph wanted to go back to his hometown in Israel called Bethlehem, which was in the southern part of Israel, and it was real close to Jerusalem. And there in that day, we see in verse 22, that he's actually called not to Bethlehem, but to Nazareth. And verse 22 tells us why. The Herod the Great, who was a great builder and a murderous guy, Remember, he just ordered all the babies in Bethlehem to be killed. His eldest son, Archelaus, is now ruling in the region of Judea. And he's just as mad, crazy, and murderous as his dad. So instead of moving to southern Israel, Bethlehem, they go to Nazareth in the north, where another son of Herod it was actually ruling a cooler head than his father and his brother, His name was Herod Antipas. And there Jesus and his family moves up to the north, 
to Nazareth. Now, why all these moves? Why, why is this going on? It is to fulfill Old Testament prophecy predicting that Jesus would come and he, him alone, would fulfill these and save his people. He gets saved, many of you, many of us. And perhaps today, you know, there's some here who are listening that have not come to know Christ's great love. He can save you too. His work is so beautiful, so great. And his prophecy fulfilled, is fulfilled that Jesus would become a Nazarene as we see this in verse 23. And, and why Nazareth? I mean, Nazareth, guys, was, it was a little insignificant, kind of a little stinking village. Insignificant, 400 people max during Jesus' time. It was in the northern uneducated part of Israel. It was also a place where there was kind of, you know, it was mostly carpenters, right? And farmers who were up in that area. And there weren't a lot of, you know, the professionals were all in down the south. But Jesus comes, he's, he, he's not just born in a place of sadness. He comes to live and grow up in a place of insignificance. Why? Why would the God of the universe pick this place? This is his sovereign leading. It was from a dream. A fourth dream that God gave to Joseph to actually move here to this, to this town of Nazareth. Why would he do this? Well, here it is. It's because Jesus, the ultimate God, became utterly humiliated humbled himself. Philippians 2 says he emptied himself of everything. He came in no pomp and ceremony. He came to the most valueless place. Why? To show us his love is real for you and me. To demonstrate that he is God. To fulfill every prophecy made about him. And you remember uh, again about Nazareth and how kind of overlooked and undervalued it was by the Jewish people. When Jesus was recruiting his disciples, remember Nathaniel, he's looking at Jesus and he kind of points to Jesus and he says in John 1.46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But Jesus does. He's not just good. He is the greatest of all who ever lived. He came out of Nazareth and his, though his glory was not seen at that moment, friends, we will see his glory. If we look to him by faith, today you can know that glorious God. And one day soon we will see this man with blazing eyes and a heart of passion for you and me that he would die a death we deserved and give his life so that our sin could be taken upon himself. Hallelujah, what a savior. Hallelujah, what a God. So we see out of love, God comes. Jesus fulfills these three prophecies. But secondly and finally, Jesus endured humiliation in his coming. Now again, think about 
Jesus, who was God, who, what he faced in his young life. Think about it. A hard place. Egypt was despised by the Jewish people. A sad place. Bethlehem was a place of great mourning. An insignificant place. Nazareth was his hometown. Nothing to boast about. <laughs> Jesus and his family moved to this laughably small, unesteemed place called Nazareth. But see, look, Jesus endured humiliation, not just in his death, but in his life, in his young life. And the scripture is trying to teach us this, that he was willing to humble himself that much for you and me. What a God! Do we get this, church? Does it break our hearts that the sovereign, mighty God of the universe would do this for us? Jesus himself, again, in his birth and young life, were surrounded with difficulty, sadness, and anonymity. And it was all because of love, out of love for his people. Maybe you feel this way today. You feel like, wow, life is harder than I expected. Or you're asking God, why aren't you using me in more important ways? I feel overlooked. I feel abandoned. Maybe you're lonely. You're sad. You're angry. You're fearful. Jesus knows what you're feeling. Jesus experienced all and more. Jesus is the man of sorrows. He's not distant from your pain, church, family. And he himself comes not just to feel your pain, but to rescue your life. He, only God, can rescue us. And it's out of his love for us that he comes and he breaks the slavery to sin that we would be bound by if Christ did not come and was not born and did not live and did not fulfill all of these prophecies. You see, this teaches us many things, but one thing is this, is the value of our life, guys, is not in what we do, it's not in how we're recognized. It's in what Christ has done for us. It's in our new identity that he has said, if you trust in me with your life, I will give you a new identity as my sons and daughters. You will be mine. It's not just who's, who you are. It's whose you are. You're the king's kid if you know him. It's because of his love for you that he did this. So this Advent season, are you asking him, Lord, would you change me by your rescuing love? Don't let that just be information that just glances off of me or glazes over, but that changes my mind and my heart and my hands that causes me to say, Lord, I want to give you my life. I want to give you all my worship. I want to praise you with everything that I have. God, God, because of your love, I love you. 
I know I fail in love, but you are always faithful with your love. So today, if you're not a Christ follower, I just urge you to just ask God this. Ask him, God, would you, if your love and your life that John was teaching about from God's word today is true, would you reveal yourself to me? Would you show me that you're real? If you ask that sincerely, look, if, if... If he's not real, you've lost nothing. But if he is real, you have gained a forever life. You will be changed. You will know God forever. And he will reorient your life in ways that no one else could ever do. I just ask you, plead with you today. You know, whether you're here in person or you're online, today just ask that simple question if you don't know his love. God, would you show me your love is real? And if you do know his love, if you are a Christ follower, will you ask him, God, show me how you want to change me today through your love, by your love. It's out of love you came. You came for me. God, whatever I'm struggling with, like fear or anger or Just maybe utter sadness, God can come help you. Will you? Will you today come and trust him? Will you today come to the only rescuing Lord and Savior? You see, it's out of love God comes. Will you trust him? Let's pray together. Father, oh God, please pour out, pour out your love on this, your people. God, those that do not know Christ, we pray that they would come to know the saving, rescuing love of God. Father, we pray that it is your work right now that people are being changed as they simply surrender to you and your love. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Lord. We praise you now. Lord, and our response is praise. And so we sing and give you thanks and say glory to you. This Advent season that Christ, you would come for us. And we give you thanks. And we worship you, Lord. Not just with our words, not just with our songs, but with our minds, with our desires and affections. And God, with every moment of our life, we want to say, we want to be yours. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.